This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. We are in week five of a series that we are discussing King David. We are looking at his life and we are learning some things. And as we said in this series, we're uh, learning from King David, who is a type of Christ. He is thought of in the New Testament, and Jesus describes David and, and sort of the, Jesus as a son of David. And David is thought of as sort of the, the, the glory years of Israel as it relates to kings. Um, he was the second king uh, in Israel's history. We talked about all these things a little bit late, a foundation in week one. And so what we do as we look at David, we're learning um, about Jesus, that we're supposed to see David as a type of Christ, um, and then Jesus is the fulfillment or the anti-type, and as we look at David's life, we can see um, things about Jesus, but then also there is a limiting factor to that because David is human. He does make mistakes, and as we read here in 2 Timothy, that's part of the reason why we read from the Old Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 14 says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So talking about the Old Testament scriptures, that as we look at the Old Testament, the totality of the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus, that the Messiah is coming. So as we look at the Old Testament, we're not supposed to have faith in David and celebrate David, and we don't get the totality of our doctrine, certainly from the Old Testament, that is moving us to Jesus. So as we look at David, our faith in Jesus is supposed to grow. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So as we look at the Old Testament, we can be trained in righteousness. And then what we have in the Old Testament, uh, which is is fantastic about the Old Testament, is that we have the good things they did and then also the bad things they did. The things, and we can learn from both. We We should repeat the good things and then we should avoid the bad things. And this is true of David's life. As we look at David's life, did a lot of great things, celebrated king of Israel. But then he also made mistakes that we can learn from equally. So as we look at David, we can look at lessons about leadership and loyalty and friendship and our heart, because the scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. We can look at how to deal with disappointment, how to deal with opportunity, how to deal with opposition, Uh, worship. We talked a little bit about that last week. And then this verse um, that I think is kind of the keynote uh, verse for this whole series is Acts chapter 13, verse 36, says this. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. So David served the purposes of God in his generation. Didn't just serve his own purposes, that he served the purposes of God before he died. And this should be our prayer as we look at the life of David, as we learn from David that we want to serve the purposes of God in our generation. In 2016, God, what is it that you would have me to do? What can I accomplish through my life? What... Uh, responsibilities have you put in my hand so that I can accomplish your purposes individually and then us as a church. We want to serve the purposes 
of God in our generation. So, so far we've looked at the call, the original call of David anointed to be king. We talked about that in week one. If you missed any of these messages, you can go back and listen on our church app or also on our website, podcast, anyway. Um, and then we talked the second week about David and Goliath. We talked about our opportunities that, uh, and we talked about dealing with fear that week. And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about friendship. We talked about David and Jonathan, their friendship, their covenant friendship. And then last week, we talked about David the poet. Um, and we went through a few of his psalms and discussed that. So if you missed any of those messages, you can go back and catch up with us. All right, so we finished off our story with David. He's anointed to be king. David and Goliath, we talked about the friendship of Jonathan. And last week, we talked about he, how he was mourning um, Saul and Jonathan's death. And then sub- subsequent to that, we see the story continues and how David, David was from the tribe of Judah. And we know that that is also a type of Christ. And within his own tribe, they made him king. But in the rest of the tribes, um, someone set up a guy who was uh, one of Saul's sons. His name was Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth. Be glad that I'm saying that this morning and not you. Set him up as kings of the other 11 tribes. Um, so David was king in Judah, and then these other 11 tribes had a son of Saul as their king. And then these two guys, David and Ishbosheth, kind of had sort of a civil war for about seven years, and they were always fighting each other, and they're always killing each other. And um, David grew stronger and stronger, and then finally um, Ishbosheth was um, killed, and then David was made king of all of Israel. So for seven years, David was just king of Judah, Judah, and then for 33 years, after that seven years, he was king of all of Israel. So for 40 years, David was king of Israel, and now just the first seven was just Judah. And when you look at the life of David in this season, you know, he is a great and tremendous military leader. They go in and they, they conquer a lot of places and they do a lot of things and they win a lot of battles. And you can read about all of these things uh, previous to this chapter that we're going to look at. And then the thing that we're going to look at this morning, uh, we know that David is famous for the David and Goliath um, situation where he had a great victory. But then we're going to look today at one of David's big mistakes. Uh, and the other thing that David is probably famous for is David and Bathsheba. So let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we'll start reading here in verse 1. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him. And all Israel, they ravaged the, the Ammonites, they besieged Rabbah, But David remained at Jerusalem. Verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, it is is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers and took her and came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, verse 5, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Oh, my goodness. We got a situation, right? This is a tough situation. Now, when we think about David, we know that David already has multiple wives, Um, and the Bible actually doesn't affirm polygamy. If you look at the Old Testament, any man that had a bunch of wives, it just doesn't go well for him. 
So there's good information for us, guys. Um, that is, so the Old Testament is not celebrating polygamy. It's kind of like, hey, this doesn't work. I mean, on hair products alone, who can afford multiple wives? Um, just a joke, everyone. Don't get upset. <laughs> See, my, wife would be, my wife's not here this morning. Both of our girls are not feeling well. But she wouldn't have liked that one. Anyway, don't tell her I said it. All right, it's just a secret between you and me. So let's go back to the beginning of this section and just read a little bit and see how David got in this predicament. Second Samuel, go back to verse 11, I mean verse 1 of chapter 11. It says, In the spring of the year, when the time of the kings go out to battle, David sent out Joab and his servants, and they ravaged the Ammonites. But it says, But David remained at Jerusalem. So the thing that the king should be doing with his time, he actually wasn't doing the thing with his time that he should be doing with his time. And I think this is just kind of the first thing to look at the story. Um, you know, how do we invest our time? What are we doing with the time that we have? We, you know, we talk about time management and how important that is. And, you know, time is going to tick forward. And all of us can look at um, points in our lives where we've wasted time. And then other times in our life, the time that we have spent or the time that we have invested has been very profitable. But here in this season of David's life, he's, all the kings are out and they're all doing kingly things. And then David, David basically just kind of isn't doing anything. Now, it's good to have a vacation. I hope you had a great vacation uh, this summer. It's great to rest. But our lives are not supposed to be spent just doing nothing. Uh, our lives are supposed to be invested. Our, our lives are supposed to be used to be a blessing to others. And then kind of just David is in this time where he just kind of isn't going out and doing what he should be doing. And then it says in verse 2, and I love this description, it happened late one afternoon. It happened. Can you think about the season in your life or a time in your life where it happened? Something that you're not proud of. Something that you maybe have a little bit of regret about. Something that you're like, man, I wish I hadn't done it. That it? What is that it? As we think about David's life, it's so easy to look at David's life and just be like, oh, David, why did you do it? And the question is for all of us, well, why did we do it? Why did we, maybe we didn't do this, but what is the it in our lives that we did when we were kind of at a season, maybe we were susceptible to temptation and we kind of fell into something and fell into a difficult situation. It happened late one afternoon. And I'm sure we all have a story that we can tell about what that it is. And it'll be different for all of us based on a lot of different things and based on a, a lot of different experience and backgrounds and based on a lot of the desires that we have as individuals. What is the it that we can look back in our lives? And then David, we read the story, he sees Bathsheba and she's having a bath. And he, so he, the scripture says she's very beautiful. And as uh, kings do, he probably misused his power here. He's like, hey, there's a woman I want her, even though I got a bunch of wives already, bring her to me. And he basically misused his power, and they had um, Bathsheba brought to him. Uh, and it says he lay with her in biblical terms, and then she got pregnant. So here he has a situation. So he has the situation where he has, has had all of these tremendous victories. He is the celebrated king of Israel. He is anointed to be king anointed for the purposes of his life, and then he makes this terrible mistake. And then the story continues. You know, his, his uh, 
Uriah, who is Bathsheba's husband, is part of his military. So he finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant, so he calls Uriah back. Um, and he says to Uriah, you know, so he's trying to cover up the situation here. He calls Uriah, he's like, you know, go home. And he's basically recommending that he go home and sleep with his wife. So if he sleeps with his wife, then maybe uh, then David won't be blamed for getting Bathsheba pregnant. So he's trying to cover this up. And Uriah doesn't do what he's told. He kind of stays outside of, of um, David's palace there or his, his room there because he's thinking, you know, all of my buddies, they're on the front lines. I'm not going to go and be with my wife. And so Uriah is kind of an honorable guy. So he doesn't go and do that, what David asks. And then so David's trying to think of another thing to do to sort of fix this situation. And so what he decides to do is he, he tries to, he sends Uriah to the front lines and he gives order when you get out to the front lines, uh, sort of pull back from Uriah so that he gets killed and this thing happens. So we see here David goes from one thing to another thing to another thing. And then once again, as we look at David, what we're trying to learn from David in this story is not to stand in judgment over David and why, why, David, why? But what we're supposed to learn from this story is certain things not to do. But we all know when the it happened in our lives, we have this temptation also then to like do another bad thing and then to do another bad thing to cover up and then to, oh my gosh, did this and then I got to do this to cover this thing up. And this is what David was doing. And this is, this is how we see sin works in our lives. That is, you know, we, we, we give it an inch and it takes a mile. And we, and we do a little bit of this and then we find ourselves doing a little bit of something that maybe we never actually intended to do. But because we made that first choice, then the scripture, you know, people say the saying that, you know, sin always takes you further than you wanted to go. And we see this in David's life. And when we think about this story... When we, when we look at the story, we, we obviously see that David was tempted to sin and then he sinned. And sometimes we struggle maybe with that word, maybe in, in a mo- with our modern consciousness, and we just kind of don't like it. It kind of sounds like an antiquated idea. And somebody might say, well, I'm not even sure if I believe in sin. And, and like I said, the best example I can give you, as I've said in the past, you know, have somebody slap your mother in front of you and you will believe in sin. That's just, just, just not a good thing to do. It's just not right. And, and, and this is, we have in our, in our lives and in our world an agreed upon few things that we just should not do, that these things are not good things to do. And this, if someone were to do this, this is failure or this is wrong or this, this shouldn't have happened. And sometimes we just put it on those things and what are those things. And then sometimes uh, we just think of sin it's just sort of a desire for bad things. That sin is just is a desire for bad things. And there are some, bit, some things that are just inherently bad and wrong. But a lot of times the more subtle things are, it's not just uh, desiring bad things, it's desiring things badly. Where we just, the things, and sometimes they're good things. Because we know... That, that sex is given to us by God. That sex isn't a bad thing. Sex isn't a dirty thing. Sex isn't an evil thing. If we use it the way God has intended us to use it. But here, David is stepping outside of God's boundaries as it relates to sex. And then something bad happens. So sex in and of itself is not a bad thing. As when we take it out of the context in which God intended it in marriage between man and a woman. And when we take it outside of that context... It becomes something else. 
we, we start to move those things, those desires that we have. And this is one desire. But we have all of these desires from, our, from just living here on the earth. What desires do we have? Well, we have desires for food. Food is a good thing, right? Come on now. Food is a good thing. You're, you might actually be already thinking about food at lunch. If we're getting close to 11, maybe your stomach is talking to you and you might be thinking about your restaurant and what time you can get there to beat the rush so we can beat the other churches to the restaurant. We have a natural desire for food. Food is a good thing. Food is a gift to us. But what, is, what happens if we take food and we move it to the centerpiece of our lives. It no longer becomes a gift. It actually becomes something that can move us to sin, that we would just eat all of the time. We would just be living to eat. I'm thinking about my next meal. When can I get my next meal? And when can I go there? When can I go there? Because I need to eat. I need to eat. And our, our whole lives are just driven by food. Food is a gift, but we don't want to take it. It's a good thing. But we, want, we don't want to take it and move to the centerpiece of our lives. Money. Money is a good thing. God has blessed us, has given us blessings. All the resources that we have in our lives. Resources and money isn't inherently bad. The scripture doesn't say money is the root of all evil. The scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. So it's when we take something good that is a blessing from God and then we start to love it. When we start to put all of our affections, even though it's actually a good thing, it's a gift from God, we start and move all of our affections on that thing. And this, the scripture calls this idolatry. If we think about the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods before me. So God is wanting all of our gifts that he has given to us to, be, to remain in that place in our hearts. Not to be the centerpiece of our lives, all of these things that he's given to us. That he should be the centerpiece of our lives. And we keep these things as secondary and tertiary things. They're down the line. But if we think about sin, all of these things that we could, we could talk about. We could talk about sex. We could talk about food. We could talk about money. We could talk about power. All of these things that are good things... But when we take them and then they just become the centerpiece of our desire, that's when they become sin. The word uh, sin just means this. It means to miss. Miss the mark. Go wrong. Failure. Bear the blame. And just like David's story, it happened late one afternoon. We all have a story like that where we missed. We missed the mark. We just went wrong. We failed. We bear the blame for that situation. That I am at fault for that situation. Is everybody excited for a message on sin this morning? <laughs> See, this is pastors get to do this. See, people on TV and traveling ministers, they don't deal with any of this stuff, but pastors, amen. That's all right. Um, so ultimately, when we think of sin, a lot of times, once again, we just, we just look at the outward part of the sin. Obviously, the situation with David is sexual sin, and then he misused his power, and then he disregarded Uriah's life, and then all of the, you know, all of the stuff that he just, 
he just kept on messing up in all of these areas. But this, the, those are the activity of sin. But the sin underneath the sin, once again, is moving our affections from God into these things. Into these other things. And sometimes we will get then our identity from these things. If I just have this, or if I just have this, or if I just had this person, or if this person was my spouse, or if this person was my friend, or if I could just buy this house, or if I could just have this car, if I could just have this, whatever this is, we can move anything to that centerpiece in our lives. I know, I know one of the things for me, um, does anyone like the store Best Buy? All right, so, you know, I, we, my... My wife and daughters, they wanted to go to Buffalo on Friday, sort of like a back-to-school trip before school starts. So we went to Buffalo on Friday, and so we went to the Galleria Mall there in Buffalo, and then we went to Target and Walmart, which, anyway. So I was just following them around on Friday to stores and fitting rooms. But there was a few moments where they were in, what store was it? They were in anthropology. Does anyone know what anthropology is? It's not a guy store. So they're in anthropology, and I look up, and I see the yellow Best Buy tag with the lovely blue letters. And I look at anthropology, and there's no chair in anthropology, and I see the Best Buy sign. And I said to, I said to my wife, just call me if you need me. And I went to Jerusalem to look at TVs and computers and sound systems. And Best Buy in the States, let me just tell you, Best Buy in the States is way better than our Best Buy. I mean, this is like legit Best Buy. And the, the, the TV prices are so unfair in the States. It's like an 85 inch for like 20 bucks. It's just, you know, and then you're walking around Best, it's just, and there's, you know, American service and the whole thing. It's just, it, was, it was like almost a religious experience for me. Until <laughs> my wife texted me and brought me back to reality that they're going into the next girl's store and you can find us there. So, you know. But any desire that we have, this is how it works. This is how temptation works in our lives. We go and we look at stuff. And we think about it. We dream about it. Or we look at food. Or we look at people. And we see it. And we think about it. And we dream about it. And then we move it from just something that God has blessed us with to like all of a sudden, all of my affection and all of my desire. I can't think about anything else. All I can think about is them. Or all I can think about is it. Or all I can think about is my next meal. And this is how things move in the area of sin. 2 Samuel 12. So David goes through all of this situation. And then Nathan the prophet comes to David. And, it, and Nathan the prophet says this. And, Nathan, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the one poor, the rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had, brought, which he had bought. 
And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children, and it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms and was like a daughter to him. Now came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take of his own flock or herd or to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took of the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Now this is a very interesting approach to talk about sin, isn't it? The Lord sends Nathan, tells him this story, tells him this anecdote about somebody poor who just has one lamb. And this really rich man, he's got the world at his feet. But he comes and he takes the one lamb. Basically, the analogy is Uriah and Bathsheba. And what did David do when he realized that he wasn't actually, he thought, the story Nathan was telling, he thought Nathan was telling about somebody else. Right? And then what, what, what was David's reaction? He was all up in arms, and this guy's going to do him, blah, 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 and he's going to get back. See, when we think about someone else's sin, it's very easy to get upset. It's very easy to get self-righteous. It's very easy to talk about our accomplishments as opposed to our mistakes, our failures. But here, David's hearing this story about someone else's sin that actually is his sin. And this is such a big key for us in this story. And see, Christians are kind of famous, I would say. We're just getting mad at everybody else's sins. And sin. Would you not agree? It's true anyway. But what we need to do with the, the struggles that we see around us and then the struggles in our own lives is to get upset about our own stuff and, and not worry as much about what other people are doing, what other people are doing. Now, we can offer help to someone. Praise God for that. We should do that. We should help people through situations now, but we certainly shouldn't be getting, making these. See, David is in his king mode. He's like, well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. This is what this person should do, and this, they should pay back fourfold and blah, 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 and all this. And he's getting all worked up about this person's sin because it's not his own. To be able to humble ourselves. See, and if you've ever been in a relationship difficulty, which all of us have been at some point, whether marital relationships, friendships, any type of relationships, and there's something that goes wrong, it's so easy to self-justify, isn't it? I got to tell you, I have never been so eloquent in my life when I've had a relationship thing go wrong, and I am so clear at why the other person is wrong. I, just, I have complete clarity. But when my emotions die down and I pause for a second and I think and I start to look at the situation or I attempt to look at the situation from the other person's side and have empathy for how they could see the situation, you kind of come down off of your high horse. And you kind of come down off of the high mountain of being able to judge other people 
for their missteps and their wrongs and their failures. And the way Nathan tells this story helps us all to be humble about our own situations, about our own sins, about our own struggles. James chapter 1, verse 13 says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to birth gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Now, why doesn't God want us to sin? Is it that God is, you know, just some sort of cosmic killjoy? He doesn't want us to do any of the fun things. So he wants us to avoid anything fun. And once again, you know, depending on your church background... You know, you maybe struggled with this. I, I kind of think I struggled with this growing up a little bit. You kind of think all the fun things are sin. Aren't all the fun things sin? And then, and then you, when you do them, you're then supposed to feel guilty afterwards. I'm like, I don't, that's not even fair. But when we start to, to look at the scripture and we get a scriptural understanding here of sin, once again, back to our desire, back to our, uh, how we view the things and the people in our lives. This word desire here, um, it's not just desire. I mean, it's just like, it just means like almost an over-desire, like desire in overdrive, like just lust. And sometimes we just put sexual sins in the category of lust. And once again, God is not against sex. God created sex, right? Is anybody out there? We're shy to talk about this in church, I know. Uh, and it's a gift, but when we take and we use that gift outside of the context in which it was intended, then it becomes something else, right? And it becomes the only thing that we can think about, or food, or people, or power, or money. This desire, we all know that we have desires, and we might struggle in different areas, but we all know, based on human experience, that these desires, when they go unchecked, they just become sin, and then we fail. We miss the mark. And see, and what's the important thing for us to know, and as we think about David's story, the question is, and somebody might say, well, this isn't a big temptation for me. You know, if I saw a woman bathing, no big deal. I could move on with my life. I wouldn't be sending people to get her. Um, so if this is my temptation, I'm not really learning anything today. Well, once again, desires all the desires of our flesh, all the desires of our humanity can take us places. So the question is, what are the things for you? Now let's get a microphone and pass it around. No, we won't do that this morning. <laughs> so we don't look down our nose at David once again. What are the things for you? What are the things for me? And then what are the triggers for those things. If anybody has gone through or has heard about 12-step programs, this is one of the things they ask you in the 12-step program to get through these situations. What are your triggers? What are the things that trigger this? What are the, tr what are the things that uh, cause me to spend too much money on electronics? It's spending too much time in Best Buy. That's one of the triggers for me. If I, listen, I could, I could spend literally hours at Best Buy Someone's like, I don't care about Best Buy. That's not the point. 
what is the thing for you that can take your life off track? And then how can we become aware of those things? Because the scripture tells us that sin leads us to death. And that doesn't mean uh, death that I'm going to fall dead when I do this thing. But it, it invites a death cycle into our lives where relationships die. And, and good situations go bad because I'm inviting sin into these situations. Sin, something that is outside of God's intended will for my life that I'm going to mess up and make a mistake and fail. What are the triggers for me? And we should be honest with ourselves about what those things are. And then, how do I avoid those things? How do I see what the temptations are and what the struggles are for me? Be honest with myself about these, those things and then um, be able to stop those things. Now, I, I heard this acrostic a long time ago. It's the acrostic HALT, H-A-L-T. And these are things that will help all of us to know when we are susceptible to temptation. The first one, H, in the word halt, is hunger. When we get extra hungry. Now, do you remember, uh, we think about Jesus for a second, how Jesus, unlike David, was able to overcome temptation in the wilderness. Do you remember that? Forty days in the wilderness, the devil came to him, and Jesus overcame all of the temptations. That's where one of the ways Jesus and David are separate. David was unable to, but Jesus, he was there 40 days. He was fasting for 40 days. And what was the first thing the enemy came to him and said, hey, turn this stone into bread. So hunger is a temptation for us, or it's a state when we can be easily tempted. When your flesh is hungry, whether it be for food or other pleasures, you are at increased risk for falling prey to temptation. Can I get an Amen. It's true, and we know this to be true. We can't pretend like it's not true. And so this is one of the areas that we can be aware. We can be aware if I'm hungry for food or for pleasure or for something else, what is this, where does the state of mind that I'm in, what is the state of my body right now so that I don't fall prey to, tempta- to temptation? Number two, A, A in halt is for anger. When we are angry... The enemy will use the anger to tempt us in all kinds of terrible ways to say very hurtful things. This is another one for me. And I can get angry. Now, I don't know if it's nature or nurture. Either way, like I said, and I can get angry, and I just, my eloquence chip turns on when I'm angry. And I feel like I'm a lawyer. I feel like that I can explain in minute detail why I am so angry at you and why I am right and you are wrong. And if you're going to stand there long enough, you are going to get it. But when we are in a state of anger, we are in a place of temptation. We are in a place where it's just easy to sin. Sin with our words when we're angry. Come on now. Married people, you know. You know you can't remember where your keys are, but you know what your husband did two years ago on a Thursday. Why? Because you're angry. But we have to be aware. If I'm angry, sin is laying there. The Cain and Abel story talks about that it's like sin is waiting to have you 
when then when we get angry and we say all these things, what are we doing? We're inviting in death. Listen, and we know this is true. We know this is true. L. Lonely. When you are lonely, you are at increased risk of making poor relationship choices. Isn't that true? When I just feel like I'm alone, I have nobody. And none of my friends at church are calling me. And they're supposed to be Christian. They're supposed to love me, but they don't. And you're just feeling all alone. I'm just going to go find somebody. I'm just going to go find anybody. This is why our, our number one relationship needs to be God. Single people. Let me give you a second. If you're, if you're desiring to be married, which is a good thing. If you desire to be single, you can be single too. But if you're desiring to be married, let me just let you know about your future spouse. I mean, they're going to be cute, and you're going to love them and stuff. But they are not going to satisfy your soul. You're, you're going to have a beautiful wedding dress and a day, and you're going to have pictures. But you're going to find out, guys and girls, that they're just a person. And they got a lot of issues. And then you're going to find out you have a lot of issues that you didn't actually know about until you got in close quarters with someone else. And then you found out you were actually like your father, or you were actually like your mother and you didn't want to be. And then there was stuff, and then there was stuff, and there was stuff. God at the centerpiece. That this person isn't actually going to complete you. That God will. Married people, take the pressure off your spouse for being Jesus. They're not Jesus. They aren't the savior of the world. They're not going to fix all your stuff. They're not going to fix all your emotions and all your stuff. Loneliness is a place of temptation. The T in halt is tired. When you are tired physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, you are vulnerable. And you might not have believed anything else I said today, but you know those four things are true. Man, when you're tired, you are just, you, I mean, you, oh. I mean, everything can come out when you're tired. Because you're not thinking straight. So you're susceptible to temptation. We, you know, parents with babies, uh, and you try to have... <laughs> babies are amening me right now. After a, a long night of, like, a, a sick child, and you try to have a reasonable conversation with your spouse in the morning, I mean, you can just forget it. It's just, it's almost impossible. Why? Because you're just tired. Tired. It's just a place of being susceptible to sin. 
So those are things that help us to be aware. Now the good news today. Do you understand that Jesus has taken care of sin? That the eternal effects of your sin that have separated you from God are now, because of Jesus, wiped away. Because when we talk about sin, I mean, if you talk about sin for an extended period of time, and I kind of felt it in the room a little bit, I mean, it can get depressing. Because you just start to think about your own humanity and how many times you messed up and all those times where it happened one afternoon. And you can get sad about your life and you can get sad about this and think about and just be filled with shame and regret and guilt. But I'm telling you, the good news today is that God doesn't want us to feel guilty and doesn't want us to feel shame. He wants us to experience his forgiveness today for the mistakes that we've made, for the failures that we've experienced. And what is our, our first step to be able to experience that forgiveness? Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 says this, after Nathan's story, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He heard the story. He was mad at the guy who had stolen the lamb. What was David's reaction? Well, it wasn't my fault. You know, if a woman is just going to stand out there naked, you know, what is a king to do? And what, you know, I just, it's, it, if you had of just, or if they had of just, I wouldn't have done this. Oh, I know you want to point out my sin, but I know your sins too. The first step for us is just humility. And to realize that everybody seated in all the chairs in here today and in all the churches all over Canada and all around the world have a bunch of it happened late one afternoon in their lives. But the glorious thing that we're gathering around is not staying in that place of, oh my I'm the worst person in the world. What we're gathering around is that there's forgiveness. And there's actually new life available after sin. And then there's second chances and third chances. And then there's mercy for us. And God offers us grace to help us get beyond our it happened late one afternoon. And he wants us to go on. He doesn't want us to keep sinning. He wants us to be aware of the deficiencies in our flesh. He wants us to be aware of the over-desires in our life. So we don't go on sinning. The place of grace that we live in with God is not an invitation to keep sinning. It is an invitation to stop sinning because sinning hurts you. And sinning hurts other people. It is a failure. It is a go wrong. But God offers us a future in his mercy, in his love, so that we don't live in shame or religious shame, 
that God's not trying to make you feel bad for your sin today. He's actually offering us forgiveness. John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, so we don't want to be that, right? Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Listen, because of what Jesus has done, we are set free from the eternal effects of sin. Now, we make choices in our lives, and the life that we live, there is repercussions for bad choices. We are aware of that, and we know that some of us are living in repercussions of bad choices. But the eternal effects of our sin are washed away. And then in here, it's talking about sonship. We're not just a slave to sin. The son sets free that God has invited us into his family. So humility is the big first step for us to move away from sin. And the second part is this sonship part. Is this the invitation into the God's family part? that we move our passions from just the thing and the stuff and the over-desire and I gotta have this and I gotta have this or I gotta have them or I gotta have it. And it's not just being mad at ourselves saying, stop it, stop it, you shouldn't do it, stop it. It is moving our affections from that thing and putting our affections on the one who is the giver of all gifts. Not just trying to stop something, but saying, God, I love you. That he is the ultimate judge. And you were guilty of your sin, and I was guilty of my sin. But instead of sentencing you, he sentenced himself. That he gave himself for you so that we could have a relationship with God and we could be passionate about God we could be passionate about the giver of life that is who God is that we just don't love the things in our lives that we love the giver of life and when we're passionate about God we love God And then all the gifts that we give, we don't just love those things, we use those things and we enjoy those things. But we don't put our ultimate affection on those things. If we put our ultimate affection on those things, man, we're moving towards sin. All of these wonderful gifts that God has given to us, sex and mood, uh, uh, food and resources. Last thing and we're done. Here's the end of the story. Second Samuel 12, verse 24. Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba. So Bathsheba became David's wife. Not the best situation, but here God is turning this situation around and went to her and lay with her and she bore a son and called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. So the situation was really, really bad. David made some really stupid choices, but then God turned it around. And you might be in here, Dave, man, I've made, you know, I have a a recent, it happened late one afternoon and it's kind of a deal for me right now or 
I was hungry, or I was angry, I was lonely, I was tired, and blah, 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 this happened. But here, God turned this situation around. Even though it wasn't God's will, it wasn't God's purpose, it wasn't what God wanted for David, God was able to take the situation and turn it for good. And that's what God will do with our failures, with our mess-ups, with our misses. Let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.